Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. So today I'm going to do something common, and that is I'm going to preach the message finally. Uh, <laughs> from our series, let me tell you something. I, I was looking at I was looking at the, the original notes, and the original notes from this message that we're gonna call or title it "Common Mind." That's what today's message is titled, "Common Mind." It was dated back to uh, May 30th, and I looked and I said, "We're in June 20th," and finally, I get to preach and get into this message that we were supposed to preach a month ago. Amen. All right, good. Hopefully you're excited for it. Um, and next um, week, what I would love to do is jump into chapter 4 of 1 Peter um, to then be closer to ending it as we get into 2 Peter. For those that are our guests today, I want to kind of just share with you a little bit of what's been happening here. In, for, it's been taking us a few months uh, just because we've had uh, a couple uh, stops in between and we've done some other things and we've uh, stepped away from our series. But we're on a series called More Than a Letter. And it's a series from the Apostle Peter. It's a, it's a letter that he wrote to the early church. And we've been going over it pretty much through the flow of it, verse by verse. And it's been really a tremendous encur- an encouragement um, to us. And I know from my life, it's brought great growth and really some, some things to look at in, in my own life. How many of you could give testimony of that and say, yeah, it has? All right. I, I know it's really challenged me, even preparing it. Um, they've, it's challenged me to some very deep thoughts. Um, to, to where I'm at, to what I'm doing, to what I need to do, stuff like that. And I think today's going to be uh, very similar to that again. I, I, I want to share this message in titles and dads, which we've done in the last weeks and months and stuff like that. But every single part of this message is important to wherever you're at, a woman, a man, a father, uh, a mother. It, it doesn't matter where you're at, but it's, it's this, this, this theme, common mind, this title, common mind. And I want you to think about where you stand and where you're at. When it comes to this, where is your mind at? Is your mind, do you have the mind and one mind in Christ, the mind of Christ? And I think that that's the truth in everything. So if we're going to talk about Father's Day, the greatest thing that any father can do is to have the mind of Christ. Is to lead with the mind of Christ. All right? Is to live with that integrity so that your children, your grandchildren, and those that you lead could see that you have the mind of Christ. And many times there's a battle because the mind of the flesh wants to fight that other mind. And you have to discipline that. And you need to let that one win and conquer that which is not of Christ. Amen? So let's get into this. We find ourselves today in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you to look at verse 8. uh, Because last time we got into this, we spoke about wives and we spoke about husbands. How many of you remember that? And we we gave a, a, a big challenge and And I ask you to go back and go back to our YouTube, go back to our podcast, and listen to the last five messages from this series. We are in message number six of our series of more than a letter. And we're going to kick off in verse eight of chapter three as Peter continues to flow. And you're going to recognize, again, he uses repetition because many times when we speak, we also use repetition. And we say, oh my God, you've already said that like five times. If you've ever had a conversation with me, I'll do that, all right? And if you've ever had a conversation with some 
others in here, you'll see that you do it as well. We just repeat sometimes because we're excited or we want to make a point or we really want to dramatize the story and say, do you really get it? Sometimes when I share with people, I'm like, I don't think you get it. Let me say it one more time. Like if that helps. And by the fourth time, someone's shutting me up saying, we got it. The first, second, and third time. So what Peter is going to do is he's going to repeat some of the things that maybe we've already learned. And in verse 8, let's go ahead and start there. It says this. He says, finally, remember he spoke about wives. He spoke about husbands, how they're to give honor, how they're to live their lives before God and before each other, their partner, their spouse. And then he goes into this thought in verse 8. He now doesn't necessarily talk to a single people like wives or a singled out people like husbands. He is now going to talk to all believers. Everyone say all believers. So what I love about this is this is for all of us. It's for all believers, wherever you're at. And he says, finally, all believers, all Christians, all of you should be of one mind. Now, isn't that something interesting, right? All of you should be of one mind. But we all know very well that all of us think differently. All of us have different ways of doing stuff. But all of you should be of one mind. Think about how hard just that statement is. Think about how difficult that statement is. Think about the depth of that statement where all of you need to have one mind. Imagine if we were speaking in front of thousands of people today and we were to say, all of you are to have one mind. It gets even more dramatic. It gets even more serious, more difficult. When Peter is writing this to the church, the letter is still being written to the church globally today. Amen? And it still has the same meaning today. So when he says, all of you should be of one mind, we're going to get into that today. And he says this, you should sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Verse 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. How many of you could say amen? Be very careful. You're saying so be it. Because it's hard. It's difficult. When someone insults you, what are you supposed to do? Bless them back. You said amen to that, right? You don't insult with insult. For a rock, you don't throw a bigger rock. For a rock, you throw them a flower. The, the, the mind of heaven is different than the mind of this earth. It's an upside down. And, 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 and we want to get even and we want to get right or we want to prove our point, our ego. When someone insults us, the first thing that gets struck is your ego. Yes or no? It's your ego. Oh, how dare they? Right there, that's your ego. We all have egos. And many of us have ego problems and and we have to recognize and say, okay, well, how should I react? How should I respond? What should I do? He says, sympathize with each other. Have a humble attitude. Have a common mind. And that is what Peter is saying. We are, if to have any kind of mind whatsoever, we are to have a common mind. What is this common mind? It's one mind. The common mind that we are to have is actually a one mind. And our common mind is, here it is, definition of it, it is to be the mind of Jesus. It's Jesus' mind. 
It's to literally dress up and put on the mind of Christ. When you get up in the morning, what do you do? You put on the clothes, the garments to get on with your day. And scripture reminds us to put on the mind of Christ. So as you dress each morning to start off your day, you are also to what? Put on the mind of Christ to start off your day. To prepare your mind. That's why sometimes it's not good to leave in a rush. So that's why sometimes it's not, it's good to what? To start your day earlier so that what? You could settle your spirit. So that what? You could be in prayer. So that what? You could read the word. So that what? So when the frustrations that start from the house begin, you're already started in what? With the mind of Christ. You're already what? Winning the battle. You got a what? A step ahead of the battle. So what is Peter telling us here? Have a common mind, this one mind. The ESV says this way. It says have unity of mind. Have the unity of mind. Be of one mind. And I thought about that and I said this is interesting as I read this. Because most of us are willing to have one mind. Most of us are willing to have one mind. As long as that one mind is my mind. I'll have one mind with you. Just think the way I think and we'll be good. Just do the way I do and we'll be okay. But the reality is no. The reality is the Lord made us different. And how in our differences can we still maintain unity of mind? It's insane, the scripture. The diversity of heaven, the diversity of God, and then the diversity in all of us. And yet in this diversity, we are to have one mind in Jesus. Hallelujah. One mind. Not just my mind. The one mind that we're to have, it's not your mind or my mind. It is the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, I know we're talking about Peter's letter, but we always go back to Peter and Paul. Peter, we do ping pong. When, when we, we're on this series, it's almost a series of both Peter and Paul. It's almost like we're at a ping pong or a tennis match and we're watching the ball go back and forth on the same topics. They just love to repeat each other. And, and, and it's amazing. And I love that scripture shows us that. But Paul says this in first, so the, the tennis ball's in, in Paul's court. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Remember Peter's talking about the mind. And Paul talks about the mind too. And Paul says, for who can know the Lord's minds, the Lord's thoughts? Who can know the mind of the Lord? Peter says, have the mind of the Lord. Paul says, well, who can know it? <laughs> Who can know the mind of the Lord? Who knows enough to teach him, to instruct him, the Lord? But we understand these things. And then look what he says. For we, believers, Christians, for we have the mind of Christ. Paul and Peter are not divided in thought. Do you know that Paul and Peter are two different people? When you read their text, when you see their lives, they are two different people. I love that two different apostles are yet saying what? One same thing. They're what? In one mind. And yet they're differences. Paul, just as Peter in this letter, is what? Is specifically, he's directing. And he's directing the church, yes, just like Peter, to have one mind, to share in this one mind that we will and do put on the mind of Christ. And something that Paul writes numerous times, as does Peter in his letters, 
But we put on the mind of Christ. And what do we do as we put on the mind of Christ? So how does this start? The mind of Christ. How do I activate it? We begin to put on the mind of Christ. And what we do is we follow his example. We follow the examples that he gives us. Remember in 1 Peter, uh, 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 probably like two months ago, we, we, we read this scripture in chapter 2. I'm going to read it, go back and revisit it. It's verse 22 and verse 23 of chapter 2. We went over it. You're going to recognize it once we read it. It says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. I want you to pause and think about this. Because both apostles are telling you to what? Both writers are telling you to what? Have the mind of Christ. And Peter says, he's left you an example. And the example that he's left every single one of us is so that you and I, look what he says, might follow in his ways, might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he, Jesus, committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. See how Peter is repeating himself from chapter 2 to chapter 3? Don't repay evil for evil. When Jesus was treated in an evil way, he didn't treat back in evil with evil. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Because if I was Jesus and all that stuff happened to me, I'm, like, I'm going to send you to hell. Because I have the ability to send your soul to hell. But he never does that. Come on. I'm sorry. Did I go to, was that too much? Because you guys would not have done that. What'd you, what'd you do? Oh, you just, you just ripped my back open. You know what? You're going to be in the flames. But he doesn't threaten. As he suffers, does not threaten. But what does he do in verse 23? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So on earth, he didn't come as the judge. He came as the lamb. And he gave himself unto the one who judges justly. And that's how he lived his life. And when we read scripture like 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, am I the only one that reads it and say, well, I'm not Jesus. You're asking me to do a lot here. You're asking a lot of me. Because, man, people could be their madre. No? Because, man, people could be too much. You're asking a lot of me. Because this world is tough. You're asking a lot of me. Well, I'm not Jesus. And you're right. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And as I read that, I wrote that in my notes. Well, I'm not Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, right, but you are to act like Jesus. He set an example for you to follow him. You, you follow him. You follow Jesus. You follow his example. You follow his steps. Listen, this phrase, well, I'm speaking to myself. Well, I'm not Jesus is not an excuse. It is not an excuse to allow us to claim Christianity as our religion or faith and carnality as our lifestyle. We can't say, well, I'm not Jesus, so what? I'm going to continue to live carnal, and yet what? Wave the flag that I'm a Christian. You're darn right. You're not Jesus, neither a son of Jesus. What, 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 I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is be careful that when you read scripture, you don't read this kind of stuff and say, oh, well, I'm not him and I can never do this kind of stuff. And use that as a justification to continue to live in your carnality rather than to live in the spirit. 
to continue to feed your carnal's behavior, your fleshful behaviors, rather than feeding the spiritual man. So what I'm trying to tell you is as you read scripture, it should be a reminder of what am I feeding? Am I feeding the spiritual man or am I feeding the fleshful, sinful man? And in that reality, while I'm not like Jesus, you start to change that phrase and you say, well, I'm made in his image and in his likeness. I am a son of God and I am a, you start to, I am a co-heir with Jesus. And you begin to change that, well, I'm not Jesus, but you say what? I'm made in the likeness, though. I'm made in his image, though. So in a sense, yes, you're not the savior of the world. But the scripture does say you sit in high places with him. Be very careful in what we do when we read the scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this. So all of us who have the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Let's pause for a moment as I continue to read the scripture. How many of you lived life and you live life with a veil? What is a veil? A veil that covers your face. And, and, and think about this veil. veil it's, a, it's, a, it's a curtain maybe that separates you from what's on the other side. How many of you lived your life with a veil and, and you were separated from God? And you lived and you got, you, you probably, it probably got you in trouble. Am I speaking to anyone? You don't have to raise your hand for this one. But it got you in trouble. It made you do some things. You made some decisions in your life that you know it was because what? There was a veil in your eyes. There was things in your life that you know weren't in proper order. Look what Paul says. So all of us have had this veil in our lives. All of us have had this curtain that separated us. But this veil has been removed now. Just like the bride she comes in with the veil, and the veil is removed. And when the veil is removed, look what Paul says. Now we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Do you remember when Moses would come down from the mountain with God? He was what? Reflecting the glory of the Lord on his face. And the people that were there, the, the, the children of God, that should have been like, Mo, like, Moses, take me with you next time. I want to shine like that. I want my face to be Wow, Moses, you look good. No facial products, nothing could. I mean, it was the glory of the Lord shining. He didn't put no cream and no mask. It was just, woof, the glory of God. And instead of rejoicing with Moses and saying, take us with you next time, they said, oh, no, we're too scared of that. Put a veil on your face. What were they really saying? Separate us from that glory. We can't, we can't handle that. Because they wanted to still live in their carnality while Moses was trying to introduce them to his holiness. Now get behind, get past the veil and come into this glory. Get in my face, Moses was telling them. So you can know God. So Paul says, all of us, we've, this veil's been removed and now we can reflect the glory of the Lord. And it says, the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like, well, I'm not like Jesus. Well, let's read this scripture. Makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You're not like Jesus, but you are what? Being transformed into his glorious image. So what does that phrase mean? You don't ever say that phrase again. When someone talks to you, when someone counsels you, when someone corrects you, when someone has just a brotherly and sisterly love chat with you and holds you accountable to the word, don't you look at that person in the eye and say, well, I'm not Jesus. Because they have authority to look at that word and say, no, but you're made in his glorious image. Come on, fathers, how are we doing today? Dads, you are made in his glorious image. That's what we are. That's who we are. 
Ephesians chapter 2.10, Paul again, they're just going back and forth. He says this to the church of Ephesus, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. What do you mean, well, I'm not Jesus? You're created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. Good things, not bad things, not bad works. Not to create problems. Not to always have an issue. Not to always be bickering, mad. Not to always, not to always do evil, injustice. No, you're different. You're, you're salt on this earth. You're light on this earth. And what does Paul say? For good works you were created. You are his poema. You are his handwritten letter. You are his workmanship. You are his creation. And God has prepared you beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Do you guys see what I'm saying? It's following his steps and his ways. That's who we are. How many of you could say amen? We can justify, as I said, our carnality all we want. But we won't get too far in what Christ is calling us to if we continue to live in that. Many of you are called to do great things, but how many of us have truly surrendered to get to the place where God really wants to do in us? But you know that there's great things for you. There's great things through you. And maybe the great things in you and haven't come through you yet because there hasn't been what? A great offering yet. Just fully strip me from all that is of my flesh so that you could use me in the things that are spiritual. Think about all that for a moment. You're not going to get too far if it's constantly justifying our carnality. But what? We be transformed. We're to be transformed. And what the scriptures say into his glorious image. We are workmanship created in Christ for specifically one main thing, for good works. If this world, if this city, if your neighborhood needs anything during this time, it is good works. Through what? Through those who were created in Christ. Who do you sit next to at work? Who do you chat via Zoom through at work? Who do you go to right now and have lunch with? Who do you have to visit today? Who's going to call you this week? What comes out of their mouth? What kind of lifestyle do they live? What kind of influence do they have? What kind of aura do they leave? Is there darkness? Is there a cloud of darkness? Is there light? And you're stepping into their life for this one purpose. Because you were created in Christ Jesus to step into their life for good works. Amen? Good works. Interesting. That, those three words for good works. Because it's our tendency as human beings to get even. For good works, but it's our tendency to get even. When we are offended, it's our tendency to fight back. To speak back. But we, as scripture teaches, are believers. We are followers of Jesus. So how do we act towards each other? How do we act towards others? And how do we act especially towards God's family? How do we act? The answer is simple. We should return good to those who hurt us. You've been hurt by someone before? Maybe they're Christians. You've been hurt by a fellow brother or sister? You got the knife and you cut them off, didn't you? Because they deserve it. Yeah, they do. They deserve it. Because they suck. They're bad. They're selfish. 
They only think about them. Ugh. But the answer is, <laughs> we return good to those who hurt us. I hope I'm really striking your ego today because I'm striking mine. Think I want to hear that? No, I want to get even. I want to get mad. You brought a bat? I'll bring a sword. You brought a sword? I'll bring a gun. You brought a gun? I'll bring a bomb. Bring a bomb? I'll bring... <laughs> but Jesus says, the scripture says, no. You've been hurt? You do good. You do good. You do good. Because you're created in my image. For what? For what, church? For good works. For good works. That's what you're created for. And you will sit here and say, well, I don't know. Stop with that. You, you've gotten better, though. You went from, well, I'm not Jesus, to, well, I don't know. Well, that's good. You're getting there. You're no longer at, well, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> now you're at, well, I don't know. You're like, okay, I can't mention I'm not Jesus. So I'll say, well, I don't know. You're saying a lot today. Well, I don't know. Then I had to ask myself this when I said, well, I don't know. It's regal. Do you believe in the word of God then for yourself? Do you believe in the word of God and do you desire me, myself? Okay, I'm not talking to, to you all right now, but I had to ask myself this. Do I desire and believe in the word of God and do I desire to be obedient to it? That's it. That's what it comes down to. Ready? He or she may deserve all the top 10 things that I may list to you, but at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, was I obedient to the word of God in those issues in my life? Come on, ask yourself that question, Christians. Ask yourself that. Well, I don't know. Well, are you obedient to what his scripture says? Again, as the tennis ball jumps to Paul, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 25, and then I'm going to skip to 29. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Everyone say falsehood. Yeah, you put it away. Let each one of you speak the truth. Not false. Not false. The truth. But you speak the truth with your neighbor. For we are members of of one another. I love that my neighbors are here. These are my physical neighbors, but every single one of you are my neighbors. We're our neighbors. These are my neighbors, literally my physical neighbors. We talk and we give cafecito to each other through the fence. They come over, we make dinner for each other. They, they're amazing. But we are members of one another. I love that when they walked in, I said, these are my neighbors, but I'm not gonna introduce them like that because they're not just my neighbors, they're my friends, they're my family. What did that? It's one mind. It's the heart of Christ. How do people that don't even know each other live their lives, their whole lives separate from one another, get to know each other, and it's like, oh, we just love each other. It's something that happens in Christ. I want you to think about this because what does that mean with your neighbors? He says, Having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 29, it says, let no corruption talk come out of your mouths. Did you hear me? But only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Stop being so corrupted with your tongue. Stop bringing the hammer down. You know the, the game my son has to play in Chuck E. Cheese? The mole game? Hit the mole, whatever it's called. Whack-a-mole, Yeah. Don't be the whack-a-mole Christian. You know, every time something pops up, bam, hit him, pound, hit him again. Bam. Like, you're not a whack-a-mole Christian. 
Your, your, your job is not to get the, 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 the hammer out and just bang everyone in the head every time you have the what? The desire to do it. I'm here to tell you that what scripture is teaching us is something that's so beautiful. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only good things let it come out of our mouths. We need it. Why? Because we live already in a dark world. Everything that's being fed to us is dark. Everything that is being said is dark. All the news is dark. Everything that's happening in our families is dark, 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 dark. And what do we do when I get around you? I need something good to be said because I need hope and you need hope. So let's talk good to one another. Let's encourage one another because in this world there's already discouragement. There's sickness, there's sickness, and there's money problems, and there's there's so many things that are going on in this world. The last thing I need is to get connected with a brother and sister and what? Continue to hear corruption come out of their mouth when all I need is hope. I need you. If you're gonna say anything good, if you're gonna say anything at all, let it be good for the building up of your brethren. For your building up of your sister. Why? Because we need each other. Man, during COVID, if we didn't have each other constantly encouraging one another, I don't know what would have happened to us. But we needed each other as neighbors. I think God gave me them as neighbors just for COVID if that's what it took. Because we needed each other for what? To talk good things in the midst of everything that was so confusing and dark. You need that in your life. And where are you going to find it? It better be in the nest. It better be in the house of God. If not, guess what? People are out of here. No one's staying, no one's coming back, and no one's visiting for a second time if this is nothing but corruption that comes out of our mouths. If we're going to speak, speak good for the edification, for the building up of one another. How does that happen? Have the mind of Christ. Amen? That you would what? Sympathize. That you would have compassion. That you would be courteous. Everything Peter says, that you would have a humble mind. That you would inherit, what does Peter say? A blessing from God. There's a blessing from God for doing those things. Christ will reward us as we endure even sufferings in his, in his name. So I remind you again to be careful not to repay evil with evil. I know I could do evil things. You don't have to remind me. Trust me. I know I miss a lot of points. I don't hit the bullseye every time I throw the arrow. I don't. Sometimes I'm off the grid. I'm the one that hits the, the wall over here. Like, how, how did it fly that way? I got distracted and I said, I'm sorry. Learn to have compassion. Learn to have grace. Learn to be humble. Learn that, hey, don't cut each other off so quickly. Because listen, we're going to reign together for all eternity. Sympathize, compassionate, courteous. That you would inherit a blessing from the Lord. Don't quickly repay evil for evil. Be careful not to retaliate insults with insults. Careful. Instead, what do you do? You pay them back with a blessing. You know what? They hurt me. I'm going to cook them dinner and take it to them with nothing in return. I thought about you guys. I made you dinner. I thought about you guys. I, you got something on your email. I thought about you guys. I want you guys to come over. I thought, figure these things out. Jesus reminded us of this. Uh, reminded us that that that. that, that that it is no great credit if we love those who just love us. It's easy to love the person that loves you. Oh, I'm doing good. I love everyone in my circle, right? In your circle. How about those that are not in your circle? You're not loving them. So what do you do? You stick to the people that it's easy to love. Oh, I just love everyone in my circle. We're doing great. Right, that's why they're in your circle. Get out of your circle every once in a while and start loving others that are not in your circle. Come on, get them in your circle. And it reminds us that there is no great credit if we love those who just love us in return. The real test of love is to demonstrate compassion, guess who, to our enemies. 
Okay, let's read it. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm not going to go to Paul or I'm not going to go to Peter, but Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is Jesus speaking. Can you imagine praying for someone who persecutes you? Seriously, someone did you harm, someone says harm to you, what do you do? You get on your knees and you pray for them. Imagine having that mind of Christ. In that way, verse 45, you will be acting, I love this, behaving is a better word, conducting, conducting yourself is a better word. In that way, you will be conducting yourselves as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. The sun comes out on the good, on the just, and on the unjust. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust alike. The rain falls on both. So if you, if you love only, the, this is Jesus' words, if you love those only who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're a tax collector here, we love you, it's, it's a different time. Okay. We can have a Bible study of why this statement meant so much in Jesus' time. We don't have time to get into that today. Verse 47. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Oh, I'm friendly with my, my friends. I'm friendly with my circle. Well, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Straight up sinners do that. So no dispute, argument, or personality conflict among any believers should ever linger. If it lingers, you have an issue in your heart. If there is a lingering problem between you and a brother and a sister, as much as you want to justify it, look at the mirror, you have a problem in your heart. And that's the reality of Scripture. And even if one Christian gets out of line, the loving response of other Christians should what? Let's keep this problem small and let's keep it short-lived and let's come up with the answers. We are brothers and sisters in the same family and we're called to have one mind, a common mind. Hallelujah. Be of one mind. Be of a common mind. And if you don't know it yet, it's Christ's mind. Be of the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. I'm I'm not going to say I'm almost done, but I'm almost, almost done. Peter, in the next part of scripture, in chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 10, 11, and 12 just so we can get through this. Peter is quoting from Psalm 34. You could go there in your notes later on, write this down in your notes later on, go visit it. You'll see I'm, I'm saying the truth. In Psalm 34, the psalmist writes these words, and Peter repeats what, because he knew the Old Testament, he knew the Psalms. In verse 12 to 16, but he says this in verse chapter 10. Verse 10 in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he says, For the scriptures say, speaking of Psalm 34, if you want to enjoy life, how many of you want to enjoy life? Show of hands. All right, good. So, someone here does not want to enjoy life? You want to enjoy life? If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, want to see happy days? I, I love one translation says this, whoever desires to love life, And to see good days. I like that translation. Look what he says next. Peter, Peter. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. You want to love life and you want to see good days? Guess what? It's in the power of your tongue. Your Your tongue will what? Will construct the day that's before you. That way your tongue speaks is how you're going to live your day. That's why when people say, well, I'm going to die at this age. Well, I'm going to die early. You sure are. Why? Because you keep saying and confessing it. Well, this is going to happen to me. Why not? You're already drawing that picture with your tongue. 
Start saying, I'm going to live a long life and I'm going to have my mind till I'm a long life and I'm going to be healthy till I'm a long life and I'm going to start making decisions with my body right now so that I can have a... Start what? Con- building up the life you want. Where does it start? With your tongue. And that's what Peter says. You want to enjoy life? You want to love life? You want to see good days? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies, from speaking deceit. Don't lie. Don't, don't stretch things. Don't, 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 don't go too far, man. Just be a truthful person is what he's saying. Verse 11, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Work to maintain it. What does that mean? Pursue it. Pursue peace. Verse 12, I love this. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. The eyes of the Lord watch over on the righteous. He watches the righteous. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. That scripture means the Lord turns his face from those who are unrighteous. That really struck my heart when I read it. Listen, oftentimes doing good is difficult. If I have anyone here that could be honest, you will be honest and say, sometimes doing good is difficult. Many times doing good is difficult. Especially in the context of stuff that we're reading here today. In the midst of persecution, harm, retaliation of evil, all these, kind of, all these things. Doing good is difficult. But, but we see here that when one does evil, often evil... Have you noticed this? Someone gets something and you know that they got it the wrong way. Like, that's not fair. Yesterday we were at the airport, and I guess God rebuked me, right? Because we waited a long line in Mexico, and it was long. I mean, it wrapped, and we finally were the next ones in line. And I see a girl right here, and she's playing this card. She's rubbing her forehead. She has this paperwork, and out of nowhere, I see her come in, and she gets the luggage in, and I just looked at her. And this is how fast, this is how you go from zero to 100, evil. Oh, you just start saying, how dare she? Oh, I'm going to tell her something. She gets out. Gonna, this person started talking bad about her. That was the, we got the Colombians behind us talking bad. The Colombianos atrás, they started talking bad. Oh, ¿quién, se, ¿quién crea esa? ¿Quién se crea? I don't know how to talk to you. Colombians, you Colombians speak amazing Spanish. The way you Colombians speak, I, I need a trans. It was beautiful Spanish. It wasn't like Hylia Spanish. And, and everyone started... Everyone started speaking bad about this girl. And I said, and I was just waiting for her. I, I didn't tell no one around me. I was there with my bag. And I was just waiting. I was like, when she comes to you, I'm going to tell her something. And, da, 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 and she comes in. And she walks up and goes, hey, I wish I was as slick as you. And she goes, no, no, it's just that my, 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 my thing, I needed to get a stamp by the immigration. And then told me to come back. I said, yeah, sure. And then the Colombians told her something too. Ah, get to get chica. So I felt she thinks she is she's not gonna get away with that so then we go to the next we go and we're checking in everything god is good he says i need you to do me a favor we went with some other family and none of them said anything i'm the one that says something to the girl so the persons that got picked was it me no it was you and the two kids my family had to suffer the lady came up to the, my wife and said, I need you to go back to immigration and I need you to get that stamp and I need you to get it fixed because they, it didn't come out here and then come back and show it to me. And I went, oh no. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to the other girl that I just gave her a piece of what I thought. And the Lord said, how do you feel now? You have a big mouth and you open it at times when you should say shut. You speak bad when you should say good things. Now you deal with it. Your whole family has to get the stamp too. 
Don't you love getting rebuked by God? Don't you love getting corrected? I don't. I hate it. <laughs> Everyone here is like, yes, amen. <laughs> Who are you people? It brings good. All seriousness, it brings good. That's a true story. Just happened less than 24 hours ago. You've ever noticed that, right? Someone, we, we passed that girl already. Hopefully, she had a good rest of the day and my words didn't have power over her. But how many of you have done things like that? Sometimes when someone does evil, often evil is rewarded immediately. Have you noticed that? And you get mad. It's not your job to bring the mallet down. God is the judge of their lives. So I'm speaking to myself. Shut up and do good even when they do evil. And many times when one does good, come on, oftentimes the reward is delayed. When is it going to happen to me? When am I going to finally get blessed? Just keep doing good. Your reward is coming. Amen? Man, that's a good place to stop, but I can't. The unrighteous. The unrighteous, I'm going to end soon, who do evil. In this scripture, scripture says the Lord turns his face from them. But his face, his eyes, they're on the righteous. His ears are on their prayers. God knows everything about us. He knows everything about you. His eyes and his ears are on you. The unrighteous ones who do evil, he turns his face from them. But on you, his face is on you. His ears attentive to you. His eyes are on you. How many of you could say amen? So in times of great need, in times of suffering, he faithfully gives strength. He gives grace. He establishes us. He's attentive and he rewards in his time his righteous ones. Amen? All right, let's read. And this is pretty much where I'm going to wrap it up in, in this scripture. It's in 1 Peter 3 verse 13. It says, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? So become followers of what is good, right? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. So if you, however you tell people about Christ, be careful. Don't immediately condemn people to hell. Love people to heaven. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. I don't have time to break down the reverse, but it's interesting that in the beginning of this sermon, we dealt with how we are to treat each other. And as we continue reading, we, we see why. Because we need each other, we're already at war with this unbelieving world and with this evil and the evil forces that are behind this world. The last thing that we should be doing is fighting within. That's the last thing any believer should be doing. We have so much work and so much fight all around us that we should not spend one drop of energy fighting between one another. If you want to call me to fight with me, just don't call me. Just don't call me. Think about it. Say, I'm not going to fight with him. Don't do it. We need to fight with so many other things around us. Peter, if when, he, when he wrote this letter to the church, he lived in a real world with real problems and real persecution. Do you understand me? 
We've gone over that in weeks past. And now he's telling us to repay evil, not with evil, but with good, while knowing in this world that many will repay good with evil. And that's what's happening in our world today and in our faith. When we're standing up for truth, but what are they doing? They're going to try to silence us, but who cares? Continue to do good. Continue to do good in the midst of evil. He says in verse 14, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Come on. This reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 48. When Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill your soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear man and their threats. Live in the fear of the Lord. What am I saying to you as I get ready to close? Never shrink back from doing good. Give that place to God. Sanctify God in your hearts. Always be ready to explain your faith. Always give a defense of your faith. And always, I stress, always do it with the right attitude. Always. In a gentle, Peter says, in a gentle and in a respectful way. With meekness and with fear. Don't shrink back from doing good. Do good with meekness, with gentleness, with fear. How many of you could come in agreement with that? So my last thing that I could tell you today is what? If you're not, here it is. Make yourself ready now. Make yourself ready. Because when Peter is writing this, Peter knew how important it was to give a defense to everyone who asks you. I wish I had time to go verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and bounce around the book of Acts. Because I would. And he had to do this in situations in Acts where evil brought itself up and Peter had to respond with the goodness of the Lord. It happened more than two times in Peter recorded in Acts, like four times. I could take you to four different passages where Peter is confronted and he had to confront back with truth, with love, with gentleness. He had to give a defense with the heart of Christ. In each point of testing, Peter relied on this one thing, on the power of the Holy Spirit to give the proper defense. None of us want to suffer, I'm sure. None of us. But if we must suffer, may be for doing good. Don't suffer for doing bad. You got fired from your job and you're announcing to the world, I got fired, woe is me. You stole from the company. You deserve it. Don't come over here, whoa, I got fired. Good. Learn. So when you get your next job, don't steal from the company again. And don't come sing that song. So if you're going to suffer, <laughs> suffer for doing good. I got fired. Why? Because I preached Jesus in the lunchroom and they wanted me to stop. But that lady was crying. She needed Jesus that day. And I had to obey my boss in heaven before my boss on earth. And I know he's going to reward me. If you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. Not for doing evil. And sometimes I put us, I put me, Christians, we could be obnoxious. We saw that a lot in, in the times that we were living we could be offensive. And those obnoxious and offensive Christians, they're made to suffer for, their, uh, for them being obnoxious and, and offensive. Many Christians didn't show compassion and love and grace. They may wish that it was persecution for the sake of the gospel, but it's really, you're just simply suffering for doing evil. Come on, you have to have the mind of Christ. Good conduct. Remember that message? 
honorable conduct, good conduct. When your when your good is returned with evil, let it prove to others in their opinions about you and make them be ashamed for speaking against your godly life. You know what? They've done evil against me, but you know what? I'm not going to let that have power. I'm going to continue to walk in godliness and I'm going to do good in the midst of this. Why? Maybe it's not going to be the next day. Maybe it's not going to be the next year. Maybe it'll take 10 years down the road. But at some point, let your goodness speak to the evil that they've done towards you. Let us have a common mind. Let us have the mind of Christ. James chapter 3, verse 13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a question to the church. Who is wise and understanding among you? How many of you could be honest and say, no, I lack understanding? There's days, man, where I just lack, like yesterday, I lacked understanding that day. And because I lacked understanding, I what? I acted out in evil. It wasn't so serious. I didn't hurt her. But my words have power. Maybe I did hurt her. But who is wise and understanding among you? James says, let him show. If you're wise and you have understanding, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. The New Living says it this way. If you are wise and understanding, sorry, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Do it. If you're wise and have understanding, prove it with your life. Don't just come up here and stand and prove it with your knowledge. Pharisees did that. It didn't get them anywhere. Many people get behind podiums and they try to push their knowledge of the scripture. But deeper than that, let that knowledge of scripture in here, let it, let it prove it. Prove it with their own lives. Prove it with your own life. That you are filled with wisdom and understanding. That you have a common mind. The mind of Christ in this age that we are living in. I hope all of you could get into this word and say yes. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this word. It wasn't my word. It's God's word for you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. That it cuts with one end, but it heals with the other end. And it does a beautiful work. How many of you could testify that this word in sections of your life was for you? I know it was for me. I just sucked it up yesterday. It was for me. Can you stand with me as we close up here? Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for this word which is true. We did not turn from it. We did not twist it. We stayed on the journey and on the path in which this word wanted to take in our lives. And I pray that as we spoke this word today, as we learned from this word today, that it would activate 
in us the mind of Christ. That it would activate in us honorable, honorable conduct, godly conduct. So Lord, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I ask for the forgiveness of feeding the flesh rather than the spirit in my life. I ask for forgiveness for not showing compassion and grace, but showing evil and wrath. Forgiveness, Lord, for demonstrating the spirit of the world rather than the spirit of Christ. Forgive me, Lord, because I fall in these things as well. And I know that I need a good rebuke in my life. And I know I need a good correction in my life. And I know that I haven't figured it all out. I'm the first one up here as the shepherd of this flock, but yet as the flock to the great shepherd to say, man, do I need a lot of work? Do I need a lot of grace? Do I need some improvement? Do I need some growth and maturity? Do I need the mind of Christ now more than ever in my life? And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that's with me, that they too could come in agreement with that prayer and that they could have the mind of Christ, that they could have common mind and that you would lead them going forward and that they would do good, that they would understand that they were made as children of God to do good works in the image of Christ to do good works. Strengthen this house. Strengthen this body. Strengthen in our problems, in our situations. Let all this come out to good because we are yours and you are ours. So we love you and we thank you for this beautiful time together. If there's anyone here right now that this message was directly for them as it was for me, Come on, right now, Jesus, do a miracle. Holy Spirit, right now as we are in this beautiful moment, do a miracle in their heart. Do a miracle in their mind. Come on. Holy Spirit, do a miracle deep in their spirit. Come on, maybe that's you. Just say that. Do a miracle in me. Do a great work in me. Here I am, Lord, I surrender. Forgive me. Do a mighty miracle, do a mighty work right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for this day. Bless all these families. Bless all these fathers. Bless the fathers we're going to go visit. Bless those who are fatherless right now. Encourage, give hope. And we thank you because you are the father to the fatherless. So we thank you, great father. Abba, Father, our God thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. God is good.